0: For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, did Arizona voters deliver any surprises in this week's presidential primary? Tucson Festival of Books visitors recommend some books they love find out how a local artist's dreams led her to Berlin, Germany. And Beth Sertit watches doves in her Tucson neighborhood play pickup sticks just in time for nesting season. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. on Tuesday, Arizonans had an opportunity to weigh in on the upcoming presidential election. To find out what the results indicate about our political future, I asked Christopher Conover to join me with his take on the numbers. Hello, Chris.
1: Hello. Did Arizona voters deliver anything that could be considered a surprise on Tuesday? The overall results were not surprising. Donald Trump was the winner of the Republican primary and Hillary Clinton was the winner of the Democratic primary. No surprises there. What were surprising were the numbers. Hillary Clinton handily beat main rival Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump also did very, very well getting nearly 50 percent of the vote in Arizona. He hasn't gotten 50 percent of the vote yet in any state, but he got close this time.
0: Is what happens during the primary a good indicator of what's going to happen during the general election? I know that the voter turnout numbers are small for primaries. So what
1: do you think that this uh, maybe indicates is going to happen down the road? It's hard to predict because people who come out and vote for primaries are for both parties. The people who are, are really into politics, the average person doesn't come out and vote. But we did see a difference this time. Turnout for the Republicans was near 50%, and for the Democrats, it was close to 45%. That's very high turnout, which means the general electorate is excited about this. The other interesting thing that happened in this election was, as usual, we had early voting by mail that is becoming more and more popular. In Pima County, it was almost 90% of the vote was done in advance which meant when all the candidates visited at the end of last week, most voters had already cast their ballots. Uh, I was at a number of those rallies for all the candidates and met a woman named Carolina Langham at a Hillary Clinton rally that Bill Clinton was headlining. And she told me she'd already voted, but that didn't matter.
2: I have voted and this just reinforced my decision. So.
3: I definitely am so glad I came out here to hear the message.
1: The big question now becomes for the fall, with early voting in Arizona, will candidates change when they come to Arizona? Because we vote for almost a whole month.
0: People talk about a, a ground game and an air game in political campaigns, and I wonder if this also isn't putting more focus on playing an air game and not doing so many public appearances.
1: It's interesting. Bernie Sanders spent about $1.3 million on ads in Arizona leading up to this week's election. He also had the most appearances in Arizona, yet he still lost handily. Now if you look back over time, the Clintons, both Bill and Hillary, have always done very well in Arizona. The last time Hillary ran in 2008, she beat Barack Obama in Arizona. And Bill Clinton was the last uh, Democrat to carry Arizona in the general. uh, And before that, it was Harry Truman. So the Clintons do well in Arizona.
0: With that in mind, let's talk about the Republican side. And how do you think Arizona conservative voters are going to respond uh, when it comes convention time? Because we've all heard that there is some reluctance on the part of the GOP to uh, allow Trump to become their candidate.
1: It is interesting because he has to get a very specific number of votes in order to get the nomination on the first round of votes. And if he doesn't have that number going into the convention, it's possible he won't get it on the first round. And then we go into what's called a brokered convention where we get a lot of horse trading of delegates uh, to, to get to the magic number. Trump is divisive. We know that. That That's no secret and no surprise. What's interesting is he's divisive within the Republican Party. And I talked with Barrett Marson, who's an Arizona-based uh, Republican strategist, about that and what Trump needs to do going forwards. There are a lot of people who are really energized by what he has to say. There are also a lot of people very turned off by what he has to say. And just as importantly, the way he says it. So he's got a lot of messaging changes that he's going to have to make to appeal to the broader electorate. So the big question will be, if Trump changes his message, can he bring uh, more moderate Republicans into the fold, assuming he gets the nomination? Or will the mainstream party rebel at the the convention and keep him out? Uh, I've talked to a lot of Republicans And some are huge Trump supporters and others who have been longtime, lifelong Republicans said there are no way they can vote for him. So it's going to be a very interesting couple of months leading up to the convention and then if he gets the nomination after the convention.
0: There were reports of long lines at the polling stations and we also know that a few extended their hours to allow voters who were waiting in line to cast their ballots. Do you think that this kind of thing is also going to be a factor in November?
1: It will be an issue before November. Most of those problems were in Maricopa County. Maricopa County opened 60 polling places. In comparison, Pima County, with a much lower population, had 130 polling places. The 60 places in Maricopa County, what caused the big lines? With That coupled with the large turnout we talked about There will be a hearing Monday morning in the legislature on what went wrong. The Secretary of State's office is launching a formal investigation into what went wrong. The Maricopa County recorder uh, initially blamed independent voters who were not allowed to vote in this for adding to the lines. She walked that back pretty quickly and stepped up and said, Nope, it was my fault. I didn't open up enough places. I would be very surprised if there are problems come November caused by not enough polling places. I think that won't be a problem.
0: Throughout this election season, Arizona public media is putting an emphasis on understanding and exploring the idea of the Latino vote. So uh, based on the primary results, do we have any idea how the so-called Latino vote went?
1: Actually, we don't, and that's an interesting thing. Other states that have heavy Latino populations, uh, Nevada, New Mexico, we have a lot of data on Latino voters. Arizona does not ask on its voter registration sheet anything about race, so we don't know how many Latinos went to the polls. We talked with some of the national uh, Latino voting groups. They don't have any numbers. There weren't any exit polls done. So everybody's a little in the dark about Arizona's Latino vote.
0: How is AZPM gonna be following that story as it progresses?
1: This election season up through November, we'll be checking back in with everything from first time voters. We found a group of kids, high school kids who are Latino who are first time voters. We're gonna check back in with them and just checking in with the community as a whole. One of the things uh, we discovered, to the surprise of, I think, people who may not be so in tune with the Latino community, is it's not a block at all. While it leans Democratic, uh, Latinos do not all vote the same, and there are a lot of things that go into that, and that's something we will continue to explore through different conversations and different stories between now and November.
0: And our listeners can find those stories uh, all together at news.acpm.org by searching Latino Vote. Thanks for your time, Christopher. Thank you. Estimates tell us that as many as 180,000 people from every walk of life gathered at the University of Arizona to take part in the eighth annual Tucson Festival of Books. AZPM was there as a media sponsor, and I asked as many folks as I could to tell me about a book they'd recommend and why they thought it was special. Here is A Book I Love.
4: Hi, my name is Jenny Brundage. I act, I write, and I've produced a short film and I also do boring stuff, too, to keep a roof over my head. <laughs> I really love the book uh, Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. It's sort of like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. get something set maybe 30 years in the future from now, around then. And uh, people are lost, um, metaphorically speaking, because uh, they mainly live their lives in this virtual world as opposed to the um, terrible conditions of the real world and there is a uh, an icon a mogul who passes on and he creates a video game with Easter eggs and uh, you have to beat different levels by your familiarity with 80s pop culture in order to win you know his version of the chocolate factory which is uh, a ton of money and a ton of different things in this virtual world too. It's technically a YA book but I think it appeals to all ages. Yeah.
5: Uh, my name is Joe Cox, I'm 25 and I'm from Tucson, Arizona. A book I would recommend to people who are wanting to learn about the, the Syrian Civil War uh, is called uh, Inside Syria by Reese Ehrlich. Uh, my cousin bought it for me just last year at the Tucson Festival of Books. It really is a fascinating book. If you want to learn all about the Syrian civil war, all about the factions involved in it, that is your key to it. You can find out anything from that book. They even have a map of Syria in the front and back, so you can find out where the different battles and and things took place. Uh, This book really essentially just opened my eyes to Syrian culture and taught me that, hey, you know, some of these people are actually really nice, decent human beings, and um, there's no reason not to trust them.
2: Hi there, my name is Hannah Santos. I am 23 years old and I'm originally from Los Angeles. I'm here visiting. Um, I graduated from UCLA in June and my boyfriend and I are waiting for orders to go to the Air Force. So I'm just here in town visiting and I really like to read books. I thought I'd stop by. One of my favorite books is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And especially um, right now after college, it's so important to be able to communicate and to work with people as a team and as a leader. I think that a lot of people right now are just caught up with electronics and talking via email. I think it's really valuable nowadays to be able to talk to people face to face to resolve issues, to bring up um, important things going on, to be able to work through problems with people rather than just with electronics.
0: My name is Austin Thacker, and I am from Tucson, Arizona. And I'd have to say that my favorite book would have to be Summer of the Monkeys. And I say that because it is such a heartfelt children's novel that has gotten me through a lot of tough times. And it is something that I will always love. And I am here at the Tucson Festival of Books because I have a true passion for writing and I want that to be my um, profession when I grow up.
2: Hi, my name is Sarah Baker and I am one of the co-chairs of the Volunteer Committee for the Tucson Festival of Books. And I grew up here in Tucson, went away for college and just wanted to come back. A book I love is Life, a User's Manual. It's by a French author and it's a snapshot moment look at an apartment building and it goes through each individual room in the apartment building kind of giving a geometric flavor to the book and it tells stories of each of the occupants it tells what they're doing at that exact moment and it tells interesting stories from their past so you get to see a whole group of characters and sometimes it circles back and they interact with each other but it's just such an unusual way to look at a building and to look at the people within it. You really get to know both the building and its occupants.
0: Those were voices of some of the many, many people who gathered at the 2016 Tucson Festival of Books. You can find more reading recommendations from A Book I Love on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. And you can always tell us about your literary favorites using the hashtag #ABookILove. Book I Love. On a trip to Berlin, Germany, AZPM reporter Vanessa Barchfield made a connection with a Tucson-born artist who now calls Berlin her home. Vanessa then joined Marcella Watson as she was giving her friend Tim his first tattoo.
3: Um, my name is Marcella Watson, I USA, Tucson, Arizona. I am Marcella Watson, I am from Tucson, Arizona. I have been living now in Berlin for a year and a half. And um, I am pursuing a career in tattooing. Which This is our positivity tattoo we're doing today.
4: This is the one. Yeah. This is the
3: one. Perfect. Why did you choose positivity? Yeah.
4: Well, I'm telling you, because I'm going to go to Australia in one week, and I just needed to keep positive. And I think that if you stay positive, everything will be all right. And I need it. Is this your first tattoo? Yes. Uh, exactly. How do you feel? I am excited. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that I'm like in her safe hands.
3: <laughs> Here we go. You ready? Yeah, ready. Uh, how I ended up in Berlin was um, I came to visit five years ago, visit some family, and I fell in love with the city. But I was finishing up college in Tucson and um, didn't really have the means or funds or motivation to move out quite then. But I really, really, the place really stuck with me. And then I finished out school and I started my apprenticeship in Tucson and. Um, My mentor asked me, he was like, what's your plan? What's your, what what do you want to do? And I said, I want to tattoo in Berlin, Germany. I want to learn the craft and try to make it as an artist in in
4: Berlin. It's weird. It's like, like small lightnings or something. Weird.
3: I'm really, really close with both of my parents, and I'm so thankful for that. They've always been constantly supportive of everything that I've done like when I was a kid they you know saw that I had an interest in art and they always pushed it
4: she's professional <laughs>
3: she she's from Berlin and she um, left when she was about six and just hadn't been back since and she came to visit the first time to visit me and I mean I'm pretty sure that my mom was raised with no German but when she came here it was so cute she um I don't know she started speaking a little bit of German and she understood a lot of what people are saying and I was just like what mom where did this come from where did why didn't you ever said anything she's like I don't know it just came back to me so it's cool that like a bit of that was like still rooted in her. Maybe my grandmother spoke German with her a little bit, but basically came out. I came out here and had to learn from scratch. I had to you know pay for classes and everything yeah, to learn that's my mother that's tongue. That's
0: yeah. so. I
3: have so much to learn. I'm not at all, at all prepared and ready to to claim that I'm a tattoo artist. Like I'm a tattooist that functions as an artist, sure, but like. You know, a tattooist is someone that can apply a tattoo onto the skin, and a tattoo artist is someone that can conceptually see something on a body and, like, replicate it and really produce a really good piece of work. I'm trying and constantly trying to expand and learn from great artists and, you know, steal from the best. But I got years and years and years. I got, like, I think when I'm about 60, I can start saying I'm a professional. You know, like, I got time, and I'm not in any rush at all, at all. So.
4: (laughs) I like it, I
3: really that's like that. it, that's cool. What do you think? I like it, I like it, always... Oh my gosh, it's so freaking cute. I miss my friends, I miss them so much. I miss my people, it's like, if I could just take all of my friends here and just plop them here in Berlin, I think they would thrive and really love it. I like, I want everyone to come visit me and see how beautiful and amazing this place is. I miss little poca like no other, I want, oh, I want to see Sandra so bad and give her the biggest hug and kiss and stuff my fat face with her delicious food, oh my gosh, I miss the food so much, like the poblano sauce, the food definitely, and then just the open, quiet, middle of nowhere, I do love taking drives out into the desert and just being surrounded by nothing, I miss that a lot. Like just kind of running away in the desert, going on a hike, and then just standing and looking across the huge, beautiful, vast desert or, you know, over Tucson. I really, really miss that a lot.
4: Done. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Come here. Thank you very much. Oh, of course. Thank you very much. Anytime,
3: anytime, anytime. I was scared and alone when I first got here, and I didn't know what a new life would be outside of Tucson until I actually went for it, and now I have a perspective on it, and I'm not alone, and I'm not scared anymore. And so I suppose the message that I'm trying to say is, you never know until you try. So don't just dip a toe, just go for it, plunge face first into it. And uh, yeah, so TikTok, don't stop.
0: That postcard from Berlin was produced by Vanessa Barchfield and featured music from Melodium, Joanna Newsom, Color Me Bad, and Reiner. Author and artist Beth Sertit listens to ravens and has paddled with alligators in wild and scenic places. She also knows that a nest shouldn't be judged on appearance alone.
5: High up in the imposing tamarisk tree outside my bedroom window, a migratory white-winged dove nestles like a plump teapot in the flat saucer with a branch's fork. I can see the circle of blue highlighted with lavender around her bright orange eye as she bends her head to rearrange some sticks poking out around her. Her mate arrives with another slim stick in his beak, and he stands on her back drops the stick next to her, and then flies off for what seems to be a very long time before returning with another stick. Again, he stands on top of her, drops his gift, which slides away and shimmies through the air. He does not fly down to retrieve it, but instead returns to his favorite building supply area. I think they must be new at this, but the more attention I pay, the more I learn that there is a lot that I don't know about critters, even when I think I do. By day two of construction, we have had rain. Unusual, I'm told. The air sits sweet and sticky on my skin. The dove sits on her sticks. When hummingbirds build a nest, it is compact, dense, designed with tensile strength and lined with soft materials. Clearly, the doves didn't get that memo. If these inhabitants were humans, they'd be on the road to divorce or looking for another architect and builder. By day four, the nest looks like a skeleton ready to be filled in. Miss Dove sits, but doesn't stay. I take the opportunity to wrap my dressmaker's tape around the tamarisk's girth, 41 inches, tapering upwards to 36. I'm impressed. Though these trees are disliked for their lusty drinking habits and sloppy grooming, I see this one as a tree of life, where not only the doves nest, but also varieties of sparrows, hummingbirds, and verdans perch, while collared lizards scuttle across the bulky outstretched base. Later in the morning, as I'm watering the nearby bamboo, the dove pair returns. She nestles, He stands on top of her, his head above hers, and their heads turn towards me in unison as I walk by. The unlined, seemingly rickety, open-air nest that resembles a tangled pile of the game of pick-up sticks proves to be a challenge for me to draw as I try to discern where the elements intersect. What appeared to be a haphazard pile serves the purpose of holding mother and eggs, usually two, until little pin-feathered beings grow viable feathers and fly to the ground after two weeks. Both parents watch over them during incubation and through this exploratory period, but doves are food for the Harris hawks and Cooper's hawks in my hood. Yet even with the losses due to predation, consider the seemingly ubiquitous presence of doves that pollinate saguaros And line the utility wires I often count more than 20 and the ones that fly out of the oleanders and eucalyptus as if flushed by hounds when I walk by look around for the nests my neighbor has one built on the electrical outlet cover next to the light by her front door another in the Ruslancia tree at the corner of her house and a third on a crossbeam under her patio roof last year at the edge of a gravel road that leads to my house, the doves chose a labyrinth and of choya with pointy twists and turns surrounded by prickly pear that seemed to present a formidable fortress. Sometimes, if the mother deemed I was too close, she had, after all, chosen a well-trodden path, she would fly off and pretend she was wounded dropping one white-tipped wing and dragging it as she hopped along on the ground, making herself an obvious target. A friend came to visit, arriving at my front door, saying, there was a Harris's hawk standing on the ground just as I made the turn into here. I wonder why. I knew why. When I got there, the mother and two babies, they were not old enough to fly, were gone feathers scattered, some standing upright like little grave markers. This month marks a year that I've lived here, and I see nests being reconstructed in many of the same places. The current babies fledged in that cholla today. The mother was on the nest, father on a branch near her, and I found one youngster, walking on the ground below them. I looked up into the trees and the utility pole tops where I usually see the hawks, listened for their distinctive calls, but heard only the drone of bees, the chittering of small birds, and the calls of the white-winged doves.
0: Observing nature starts with curiosity about what grows, flies, and crawls around you. Beth Sertit will host a workshop on the art of paying attention Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon at Agua Caliente Park. It is sponsored by Pima County and the USA National Phonology Network for ages 12 and up. There's a link to register on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org, along with photos and a drawing of some of Beth's neighborhood doves. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM radio studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood, with assistance from Isaac Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore. We'll be right back. back.